It is so good to see you, and uh, if you don't know who I am, maybe you're new to New Song Church, or maybe you've been coming for a month and you still have no idea who I am. Uh, my name is Josh, and uh, me, along with my wife Sarah, who's walking in right now, sitting over there in the corner, we pastor, we lead this church, and uh, we've been on sabbatical for the last month. Uh, time for us to kind of get away and rest and connect with each other and connect with our family. And uh, it's been a great season for us. We come back to you full. We come back to you bronzed. And uh, we're excited to be back with you. We missed you. We love our church. We love uh, what we get to do. It's a, it's a great honor and a privilege. And I just want to thank you for those of you who have been praying for us over the past month. Thank you. Your prayers were felt. And uh, for our staff and our team that did such a great job in our absence, thank you guys for covering for us well. And uh, good to be back with you. I'm excited about today. Are you excited about today? I'm excited because uh, some of my favorite people are here in the house today. Number one, God is in the house today. Do you believe that? He is. It says that he inhabits the praises of his people. We've been praising him and worshiping him, and so he's here today, and he wants to be known in your life today. He doesn't just want to come in and, and spectate on what we're doing. He actually wants to engage with you as we look at the word today, and so uh, I believe he's going to do that. Do you believe that today? Yeah. And then the other favorite person that's here today is you, right? You're here today, and, and I want you to know that I love you, and I'm grateful for you, uh, and uh, turn to the person beside you and say, hey, he loves you. Yeah, have I told you that? Have I, have I told you lately that I love you? <laughs> Anyways, I do, and uh, it, it is such a great honor to be back with you. We're excited about what's ahead of us in the fall of this year and uh, going into next year. It's going to be a great, great season. Um, this Wednesday, I want to make you aware of something. You know, we do midweek prayer here at New Song every Wednesday from noon to 1 o'clock. We come together, we pray uh, we're a praying church, and we, we, we say that, and we believe that, and we're also saying that by faith. We, want, we are a praying church, and we want to be more of a praying church. And so we invite uh, you to come every Wednesday and to pray with us. Well, this Wednesday, we're going to be praying over uh, kids and teachers and students that are going back to school. Most schools are opening up this Thursday. Some are a little bit later. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you know this, but the school is kind of a dark place, just so you know. Like, I don't know when, what your last interaction was with school. It's been a while for me. Uh, but it was dark when I was in school. And I went to Christian school, and it was dark, right? Like, the, the school is a dark place. And, and you know, that, that's not scary because the good news is we're the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And light shines bright in dark places, the brightest in dark places. And so... Here's what we want to do. We want to, we want to come together and we want to pray over our kids. We want to pray over teachers. We want to pray over schools. And we're believing God for revival. Like we're not just something we're going to sing about. It's something that we're going to intercede for. And so I want to invite you to do that. If you've got kids going back to school, be it elementary, junior high, high school, college, whatever the case may be, be here with your kids. Students, be here. We're going to pray for you. Like We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to anoint you. We believe God's going to use you in a powerful way. We believe God's going to use our students that they're not going to be overcome by the world, but that they're going to overcome the world. Somebody say amen. amen. And that our, our schools are going to be protected and safe and that God is going to spark a revival. He's going to spark a revival. So come, be here with us. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. And I believe God's going to do some awesome stuff. I believe words are going to go forth. It's going to be great. So get here. We want to pack this place out this Wednesday. Sound good? Amen. All right, grab your Bible if you got one or some kind of device with a Bible app on it. You can get out your Being Transformed journal. You can get out your new song app if you want to follow along with me. And uh, you can turn over to the book of Philippians. 
But I'm not going to give you chapter and verse this morning because this message is a setup. It's a setup, right? Look at the person beside you and say, it's a setup. Yes. It's a setup. What I want to do today is I want to I set up this series and what we're going to be doing uh, over the next, uh, really including today, it's seven weeks, but over the next six weeks, what I believe God is saying to our church and where it is that I believe God is going to take us over the next seven weeks. Philippians, it's, a, it's an amazing book. In fact, it's one of these books in the Bible that is probably one of the most quoted, most like well-known kind of one and two-liner books of the Bible that there is. Like there's been more doilies stitched. <laughs> there's been more CrossFit merch created, more Hobby Lobby farm-style artwork crafted, more tattoos inked based on verses out of the book of Philippians than, than any other book in the Bible. I mean, it, it, like some of these amazing things that come out of, out of Philippians. For example, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And the peace of God which transcends your understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like many people have sharpied that onto their eye black before the big game. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Some of the most beautiful phrases of our faith come out of Philippians. And, and, and it's beautiful and it's great. But, but what happens very often is Christians and non-Christians alike have kind of cherry-picked verses out of Philippians to apply to whatever they want to apply it to. And in the process of doing so... We, we kind of strip the word of its power and potency to do what it really wants to do in our life. See, Philippians isn't a book of verses that we can just take and use for whatever means we see necessary to kind of help us to do our thing with God supporting it. Philippians, really, it's a window into seeing the kingdom and the king in the right way. And what, what I believe what God wants to do over the next few weeks is he wants to help us to see God the right way so that we can be who God's called us to be in this day and age. Because I'll just tell you, the kingdom of this world is falling apart. And there's a lot of people, they need to see that there's another option. Uh, in fact, they say today that the number one emotion that people are experiencing in kind of the post-COVID world that we find ourselves living in today, like the overall feeling that people are having today is this feeling of blah. Or like, if you're a millennial, it's meh. <laughs> or, or if you're Gen Z, it's mid. <laughs> and now the other feeling that Gen Z is having right now is cringy, right? Because <laughs> you can't say that if you're over whatever. I don't know. But the idea is that, like, life is not as it should be. Like, something, something's off here. And the word that they're using to describe this, this feeling that most people are experiencing is this word languish. We find ourselves in a season of languishing. So let me help you understand kind of how this works, all right? Guys, throw up that continuum idea. Imagine like this is like this continuum here is kind of your life. And on one end is flourishing. Flourishing is where things are good. Things are like you're thriving. Things are awesome. You, you have hope and you have 
peace and you sense that you're known and you sense that you're seen and that God has a, has a plan and a purpose for your life. And not only does he have a purpose for your life, you're walking in the purpose and you're experiencing the favor of God like this is, this is flourishing. On the other end is this idea, the polar opposite, which is depression. It's, it's sadness. It's brokenness. It's a state of where we feel like nobody sees us. Nobody knows us. And, and from this place of depression, we feel like a lack of purpose, like our life is purposeless. And from this place, we feel hopeless. There's no hope, and there's no point. And it's kind of like, it's kind of, I've said this before, but it's kind of like we're living because we haven't quite died yet. Now, in between these two places is this, this, this state of languishing. And they say that this is where the majority of people are living today. And whether you call it mid or meh or whatever... This is where a lot of people find themselves today. We're, we're kind of in this fog. We're going through life, and we don't feel like, we don't feel completely hopeless, but we're not hopeful. We don't feel completely purposeless, but we don't really understand or walk, feel like we're walking in our purpose. We're just, kind of, we're just kind of in this weird state, this weird state of life. And, and the, the problem with languishing is the longer you live in languishing, the natural flow and drift of languishing is not towards flourishing. <laughs> Like just left to its own regard, you're not just going to start to all of a sudden, oh, just I everything changed and now I'm drifting towards flourishing. No, in fact, you're going to drift towards depression. And, and here's the other thing is even if you try to step into flourishing within your own strength and your own ability, what you discover is I can't really flourish. I can't really find my purpose and hope and my abilities and my strength. And so then what happens is out of that, we go back more into depression. This is why like famous rich people in Hollywood and in movies and all this stuff, no matter how well their life may seem, and we may look at them and say, man, their life seems like it's flourishing. We find out later on that they're, they're depressed. They're falling apart. Why? Because, because it, you, you're not going to find flourishing through the constructs of this world. But here's the good news for you. God offers flourishing. So I don't know where you find yourself today, and I, I want you to take a moment. I want you to be kind of honest. Like, where are you? Like, are you flourishing? If so, I want you to know there's more flourishing. Are you languishing? Well, God offers flourishing. And if you find yourself over in this, like, pit of despair, this depression, I want you to know God offers you flourishing. In fact, it's what the Bible tells us. Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. Jesus talking, he says, my purpose, the purpose of Jesus, the reason why he came, the reason why he put on flesh, the reason why he died on the cross, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, rich and satisfying doesn't mean that you don't have any problems, doesn't mean that you just have all the money in the world and everything goes your way. What it means is you're able to flourish in spite of whatever you find yourself in. You're flourishing. Jonathan uh, Pennington says this. He said, human flourishing is, in fact, a key biblical theme woven through the whole canon. Canon meaning uh, the whole Bible, the entirety of the Bible. One which, when recognized, explains and enhances some foundational aspects of the Bible's testimony, including the very nature and goal of God's redemption for us in Christ, who, after all, promises us eternal and abundant life. That is, the Bible across its whole Christian canon of both Old and New Testament is providing its own God of Israel revealed in Jesus Christ answer to the foundational human question of how to flourish and thrive. 
In other words, God designed us. When you think back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, he creates, he creates Adam, he creates Eve, he puts them in this perfect place. And out of that place, they have perfect joy, they have perfect peace, they are flourishing. Sin comes along and messes all that up. So what does Jesus do? He comes and he dies on the cross. Why? To bring us back to a place of flourishing. where We can have joy in Jesus and we can have purpose in him and hope in him. I hope you know today that Jesus didn't suffer and die on the cross so you could go through life feeling meh, right. feeling blah, feeling yeah. mid. Yeah. Like that's not why he came. And Jesus doesn't offer you a relationship with him where you go through life feeling like, well, I have a relationship and it's, it's kind of depressing. It's kind of, you know, not that great. And it's drifting towards depression each and every day. No, Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life. God offers you flourishing, a full life, a satisfying life, an exciting life. Not a perfect life. Not a perfect life. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to face stuff. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. But the beautiful thing about the life that Jesus offers you is in the midst of the trouble you're facing, because you have Jesus, you have peace. Because you have Jesus, you have hope. Because you have Jesus, you have joy. Because you have Jesus, even in the darkness, you can flourish. Somebody say amen. amen. Now with that in mind, it makes sense that we would be looking at this book of Philippians because Philippians is a book that is marked by joy. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, a church that he planted, a church that uh, he cared about deeply. In fact, if you want to this week, I'd encourage you, Acts 16 talks about the beginning of the church of Philippi. You can learn about some of the stories, and there's some amazing stories. God did some miraculous things. As I, I was reading it this week, I couldn't help but think about when, when we were planting New Song Church and the way that people would show up and the way that God came through for us and the miracles and the breakthrough that he did for us in that season, the people we met, the people who are still with us to this day, like it was an amazing season. Paul is writing to a group of people that he loves like I love this church and he's, he's, he's expressing to them this heart he has for them to flourish and experience this, this joy of the Lord. And that's what we see all over this text is joy. It's the theme of the book of, of Philippians. This idea of joy. In fact, 19 times in 104 verses, just four simple chapters, but, but in 104 verses, 19 times is mentioned joy, rejoicing, and gladness. Why? Because he wants to see these people flourishing. He wants to see them accomplishing all that God wants to accomplish in them and through them. And so he understands joy is key. Joy is a key theme that needs to be in their life. Why? Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, joy sourced, sourced by the Lord is strength to a believer. God wants to source you with joy so it can strengthen you. I'll, I love this quote by John Ortberg. He says, we know we love joy, but we often forget the power of joy. Joy gives us the strength to resist temptation. Anybody need help with that? It brings us the ability to per persevere. Anybody need help with that? Joy is the Velcro that makes relationships stick. Joy gives us energy to love. A person who brings joy to us is an oasis in the desert land. I love this last part. We don't just need air and food and water. We need joy. And Jesus offers joy. Joy sourced by God is a strength to the believer. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. Jesus takes, God takes you having joy as serious business. He wants you to experience his joy. And so in this book of Philippians, we see that it's just dripping with joy. Now, here's what's amazing about this. Are you ready for something interesting? 
Paul writes this book that's, that's covered from top to bottom with this theme of joy and love. He writes this from a prison cell. Like he's not sitting on a beach with a fruity drink, hanging out with someone playing Yanni behind him. Like, no, he's in a prison cell attached to a prison guard 24 hours a day, waiting to stand before the Caesar Nero and plead his case for his life. Just so you know, Caesar Nero was nuts. Dude was crazy. Considered to be one of the most evil men in human history. Let me tell you a little about, about this guy, Nero. He's waiting to plead his case to. Nero had his mom killed. Murdered his mama. That's, me that's messed up. He had his brother killed. Had his wife killed. At one point, he set Rome on fire so he could build himself a bigger palace. He's also one of the ones that martyred Christians like crazy. In fact, they said that after he, build this new, after he builds this new palace, he very often would have these garden parties. And to light his parties at night, he would have Christians on stakes burning to light his parties. This is the kind of guy that Nero is. And this is the kind of guy that Paul is waiting to go talk to, to plead his case to. To, to, to let him know, hey, this is what I'm doing. And if he gets a thumbs up, he lives. But if he gets a thumbs down, he dies. And he dies probably a horrible death. So think about the pressure that he's under, what he's dealing with. This is the, this is the circumstance he finds himself in. And, and from that place, he writes the book of Philippians. And writes things like Philippians 4.4. 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I don't know about you, but I, re I read this and I'm going, I got some work to do. Right? right? Anybody relate to that? So what does Paul know that we don't know? Well, here's one of the things I believe that he knows. Is that joy is found, it, it isn't found by direct pursuit. Joy is a byproduct. I, and I'll think about this. We live in the United States of America, right? And in the U.S., we have this thing uh, called the Declaration of Independence. And within it... We, it says that we have these rights, these, these rights to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a right that we have. And so what do we do? As Americans, we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We pursue happiness. Americans are pursuing happiness. Only one problem. We're not finding it. You know, we're one of the most depressed countries in the world. One of the richest countries in the world but one of the most depressed. Why? Because, because happiness, or the better phrase actually is joy, isn't found by its pursuit. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about happiness. Only 10 times in Scripture do we see the word happy or happiness, that idea. But 430 times we see joy. See, happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy is based on this, and this is how you find joy. Joy is a byproduct of real relationship with Jesus. Joy is, is, comes to you because you're connected to the one who can actually source you with it. So get this. As long as you live for yourself and try to pursue your idea of happiness, it's always going to be out of reach. So Paul says this in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says this. He gives us a key into this. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Here's what that phrase means, to live is Christ. It means to live in such a way as to make Christ look magnificent as your supreme treasure. So here's the life that Paul wants to live. A life that says, Jesus, 
is at the center of it all. Jesus is the main goal. Jesus is the point. Jesus is what it's all about. He is my all in all. He is my everything. And Paul, writing this letter to this people that he wants to see experiencing joy and flourishing, is saying, hey guys, this is what my life is about. And then he invites those people to follow him and act like him. He says in Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me. Jesus is the center of it all in my life. He's the supreme above all everything else. Be like me. Be like me. He says in Philippians 4, 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He's saying, guys, what you see in me, this is what you need to be going after. This is how you find this joy. This is how you experience this flourishing life. A joyful life, a flourishing life will not come through the constructs of this world. You're not going to find it in the things of this world. We, we were reading, if you've been following along in the Being Transformed journal, I think it was Wednesday we read Psalms 146. And in verse uh, 3, it says this. It says, do not put your trust in princes. Or in other words, uh, high leaders. Or you could say political figures. Or people that you would say they have power. It says, don't put your trust in them, nor in the Son of Man. The Son of Man here, not talking about Jesus, talking about just people around you. So you wouldn't put your, your trust in uh, your marriage, your, your, your spouse, your, um, your hope shouldn't be in them. Your hope shouldn't be in your teachers and your coaches and, and just people, like normal people. Don't put your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man in whom there is little help. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says in whom there is no help. See, what we do very often is we, we try to build our hope for what life can be in people and circumstances, and I'm just telling you, people cannot give you salvation. People are going to let you down. People are going to stumble and fall. People are not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus can bring you salvation. Only Jesus can save you and heal you and free you. Only Jesus is perfect. But what we do is we try to put on people the weight that's, that Jesus invites us to put on him. And when we place on a human the kind of workload only God can carry, it crushes them and disappoints us. And so what we need to do is instead of laying these heavy burdens on people, we need to take these things and cast them on the Lord and recognize that the constructs of this world are not going to bring you joy, hope, peace. What you're looking for, you're not going to find it in the things of this world. If you build your life on getting your circumstances right, Understand, like, circumstances are never going to be right. And, and recognize if that's how you're building your life on your joy and your peace and your happiness and your hope is built on your circumstances being just right, is it possible that the enemy is going to understand that about you and throw circumstances at you to keep you in this state of never being in a place of hope and joy? Of course he is. And what you're going to live is you're going to live this life where you're being tossed to and fro by the waves of your circumstances. Or, or let's say that you think, well, if we could just get the right person in office, if this political party could just win, if we could just get this legislation passed, if we could just make this happen. Listen, I love you, church, but if your hope is in politics, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> like for real. Or this idea that if we can just, if, if I can just post enough, people are going to come to their senses. And we're, gonna, we're just going to be able to, this thing's just going to get righted. We are drifting towards getting better. Good luck with that. Like you understand, that is not happening. 
but, but the beautiful thing about the book of Philippians and what it teaches us and what God teaches us through this book is that we don't need our external circumstances to be perfect to have the joy of the Lord. We can have that joy inside of us because we have God inside of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He can be in you, with you. So understand, like the constructs of this world, you're not going to find the joy you're looking for. You're not going to find the, you're not going to move from languishing into flourishing by the things of this world. And you're especially not going to find joy if you construct your faith and your life on you. You will never arrive at flourishing if you are at the center of your life. I was praying on Monday and looking at Philippians. I, I, I read chapter 1 a couple times. I read through the whole book and was praying and asking the Lord to give me direction for where we're going to go in this series and what he wants to do in this series. And uh, I'd been praying and I was, in, I was walking and I was in my neighborhood walking around and I got to that place of being quiet because, you know, when you pray, you're talking to God. And when you talk to God, you should be talking some, but you should also be listening. And so I'm just kind of listening and, and God, God speaks and I know he speaks because it's one of these ideas that comes kind of out of nowhere. It wasn't really what I was thinking about or what I was thinking of going. But he drops something in my heart. And with it, it, it takes a lot longer to explain it than it does to receive it. You guys know what I'm saying? And so here's what, what God says. He says, deconstructing faith is born out of me constructed faith. That's what I said. Whoa. Okay, God. You know, we, we're living in a world today, you've probably heard this term, where people are deconstructing their faith. They're deconstructing. And the idea behind it is we're looking at what we believe based on God, and we're examining if what we believe is, is right. Now, I want you to know, I have no problem with that. In fact, I'll talk about that here in a minute. I, I think that's good that you look at what you believe and make sure. But the problem I have is the motivation a lot of people have behind it is they're, they're looking to tear something down to walk away. Yeah. And the best way I know how to describe it, it's not a perfect illustration, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Imagine that you're in your home, and you discover in your home that something wasn't built right. There's an area of your home that's not solid like it should be. It was built the wrong way. And so you begin to start examining this and looking at this, and even begin to start tearing down what has been built. Well, there's two things you can do at that point if you want to. You can either rebuild and bring strength to what's not built properly, or you can leave. And does it make any sense to, but we leave because, because at the end of the day, what we believe is that this is my thing and not God's thing, and I'm right and he's not. So, so me constructed faith is this. I am at the center of it all. We sing a song here. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it has always been, it will always be you, Jesus. Another line says, Jesus, be the center of my life. Another line says, Jesus, be the center of your church. And we sing it, and it's beautiful, but let's be real. In America, in Oklahoma, if we're honestly being real, many of us, the song that we're actually singing with how we live our life is not Jesus be the center of it all, it's I am at the center of it all. I am at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it has always been, it'll always be me, Jesus. Nothing else matters. This is how we, we live our life. It's, a, it's this idea of me-constructed faith. 
And I think a lot of the reason why what God's shown me is a lot of the reason why people are deconstructing and walking away is because they've me-constructed. So, like, think about it. They're telling us today more young people are walking away from the things of God or walking away from the church. Why? Because they look at their home, and in many of these homes where it's me-constructed faith, where parents go to church once a week for a couple of hours, and then the rest of their week looks like everybody else in this world. And so here's what happens. It's a form of godliness, but, there, but it lacks power. Because if you're God, if it's you constructed faith, you're God and you got no power. So there's no power. And so kids see this and they go, this doesn't look any different than my friend over here whose parents don't go to church at all, who don't believe in God. But in our home, we st- my parents still coveting all the same stuff everybody else is going after our home. And listen, I'm not saying your home has to be perfect. But, but when you don't follow God properly, you're, you're saying something to your family and to your home. And I think we're doing a massive disservice to the next generation. When we live a life that doesn't honor God properly and put him at the center of it all on the throne like he should be. So this generation goes, why do I follow God if it's just going to be like everybody else? What's the point? I'll just sleep in on Sunday. Well, the other side of it is me at the center of it all. I am at the center of it all. And so I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask him for stuff. And if he doesn't give me what I want, I'm going to get mad at him because I'm at the center of it all. And I want God because I want God to show up and endorse my plan. I want God to be a, a character in my story. He can be a, he's a great supporting character in this story. He's very rich and very helpful and very powerful and very knowledgeable. So I'll ring the bell, and then the butler will show up and give me what I want. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, then I'm out. Let me take you back a little bit. It was, it was the fall of 1991. I was 11 years old. And my friend Danny came over, and he had a Nerf football, this new Nerf football. Now, up to this point, Nerf was not the football of choice for 11-year-old Josh. Nerf had a lot of problems. You guys remember the, the old original Nerf hoof football? It was very robust, and it didn't spiral well, right? You might remember this. It was hard to throw a spiral with the Nerf hoof football. And, and, and so we, we go out, and you'd be trying to play football, and you can't really get the patterns right. It's just, it's just not ideal. Uh, the other thing was it was light, so if the wind hit just right, and, and I lived in, I'm growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's windy, right? So if the wind goes just right, you're, the ball can go flying way off of where you wanted it to go. And especially when you're throwing the deep ball. Now, it's 1991. I'm 11 years old. Listen, deep ball is my life. Every time we step into the huddle, they're like, Josh, what are you running? I'm running the post. Hit me deep. That's my life. So the Nerf was not the one I'm pulling out of the, out of the garage. I'll use the, the leather football, even though it stings a little bit. We'll use that, even though it could hurt if it hits you in the face. We'll use that one. We'll make that work. But then Danny shows up. And he has the Nerf Turbo Screamer. Some of you 40-plus-year-olds are going, yup, game changer. The Nerf scientists, they were in the lab, and they got it all figured out. They did, man. I don't know what happened, but those guys, every problem with the original Nerf, they got it figured out. This thing was aerodynamic. It was a little bit, like, harder on the outside. So it was, like, almost impossible not to throw a spiral with this thing. You could throw it left-handed off the wrong foot, and that sucker is like a tight spiral, like Joe Montana with this thing. 
and, and you could throw it deep. Like if you could normally throw a football 30 yards, you're throwing it 50 yards. The air, I mean, they, they must have jet engine testing. Like they figured this thing out. So I was living my Uncle Rico dream. I could throw a football over the mountains, right? And the kicker was it had these things on the side, and when you threw it, yeah, some of you, it would whistle. It was dope. So you're running a pattern, and you know the ball's coming. You don't even have to look back. You're running, and you hear it. Just, just field it. Just fielding it. <laughs> so Danny's got one. So now my crew's got one. Only one problem. Danny is delicate. Like emotionally, Danny's a little delicate. If, it, if things weren't going Danny's way, he's going home. And he's taking his ball. And let me tell you, I love Danny, but he was not my number one pick until he got that football. So if you tackled him wrong, if you looked at him wrong, he, he knew. He knew he had a power over all of us. So he would be like, fine, I'm out. And he'd take his ball and start walking. We're all going, no, Danny, come on. I would say, listen, you can be all-time QB. We'll throw you the ball every time. Like, we're doing whatever we can. But no matter what, sometimes he'd come back. Most of the time he wouldn't. And, and here's my point. <laughs> Don't be a delicate Danny. See, Danny played. And it was all about him. And how he, how he treated the game was, if I don't get my way, I'm taking what I've got, and I'm, I'm just going to walk away with it. For some of us, we've kind of taken that approach to our faith. God, if you don't give me exactly what I want, exactly the way, because I, I, I'm at the center of it all, so I think I know better than you. So you don't give me exactly what I want. I'm taking my ball, I'm taking my faith, and I'm walking away. And, and let me just understand this. It'll only lead to languishing. It'll only lead you to languishing. If you're walking with a me-constructed faith, it's going to lead to deconstructing that causes you to walk away from the faith. So let me offer you something different. It's called reconstructing. And here's, here's the definition that the, that the Lord gave me this week. Reconstructing faith is about revisiting what you believe and making sure it's built on the foundation of Jesus. It's continuing to come back to Jesus and saying, is what I'm believing... Is, is what I think about the word, is what I think about the world, is what I think about God, is what I think about people, is what I think about everything, myself, my opinions, the world's opinion, is all of that in alignment with the character and the nature and the grace and the heart of God through Christ Jesus. And is there any area of my life where I've built it on me-centered faith, where I'm at the center of it all, and if so... I want to tear that down, and I want to reconstruct in the image of Jesus Christ. So if there's areas of my heart, if there's areas of my life, if there's areas of my thoughts and my, the patterns of how I'm living my life that doesn't look like you, Jesus, help me rip it down. Not to rip it down and walk away, to rip it down and rebuild it so that everything looks like you. I want you to know this is something that I've been doing. I've been doing this for years now, looking at my life, looking at what I believe saying, is this, because you know, sometimes we're taught wrong. Sometimes we're taught right, but we believe wrong. So, like there's just, there's things that happen. And it's okay to look at what you believe. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Why? Persevere in them. Because if you do, 
you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you're watching your doctrine and te the teaching that you believe and reconstructing it in the image of Jesus, it's not only going to bless you, it's going to bless the world around you. And, and this is important to do because here's what I've discovered about myself, and I bet you can relate to this. I, I do a lot of new constructing because, man, I like me. Anybody relate to that? I'm a big fan of me. And I got to dethrone me a lot. And, and so I, I put me on the throne and I, I try to build around me. And that's why Jesus said this. He says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because he's like, if you, if you guys can do this, like love others, love that person who's in the other political party, love that person across the street from you like you love you, revolutionary. You look like Jesus. But what we do is we, we build our faith, we meet construct, and, and then when it doesn't go our way, we blame God. We get mad at God and we walk away. And, 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 and so guys, this is why I'm so excited about this series. Because what we're gonna do over the next six weeks is we're gonna revisit this book, this beautiful book of Philippians, written to a church by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, teaching them how to flourish teaching them how to experience the joy of the Lord. Not just so they have it, but so they can display it and give it away to the world around them. My encouragement to you is lean in. I really, I really believe God's gonna do some stuff in this series that's pivotal to where we're going as a church and what God wants to do in the days ahead through this house. I believe there's some changes that are gonna take place. And so my encouragement is lean in and bring your faith before the Lord. Bring your life before the Lord. Examine your life before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, is there areas where I've, I'm, not, I'm at the center of it all, where you're not, where I've built stuff on even false teaching, false beliefs, false systems that need to be torn down and reconstructed to look like you. Because when we do, what we experience is flourishing. What we experience is the joy of the Lord. And the world looks at this and goes, what is this? As a Christian living from the flour living from flourishing with joy in the land of languishing is a powerful testimony to the work of the king and his kingdom. I love this quote by Skip Heidsick. He says, one of the most infallible signs of the presence of God in a believer is joy. It's an unmistakable badge of divine ownership. A joyful Christian is a good representative of the good news, the gospel. I don't, I don't know where you find yourself today, but I, I read, I've been reading Philippians and I'm finding myself going, I got some work to do. I look at this book written by this guy sitting in prison with the number one theme of his life being joy and love. And I'm going, you know what? I have not arrived yet. And none of us have. I mean, look at this verse, Philippians 4, verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need. Paul in prison. <laughs> I'm not in need. I'm good. I'm in prison waiting to, be, to go before Nero, attached to a prison guard. But I'm good. For I have le learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In other words, I can deal with this situation I'm facing because... Jesus is with me and he will strengthen me to carry out whatever it is he's calling me to do and if he's called me to 
to be in this situation, I can get through it because he's going to be with me in the middle of it. I look at Paul and I say, man, I got work to do. So I want you to know I'm, I'm with you in this. Like I'm leaning into this just as hard as anybody. I want, I want us to lean into what I believe God wants to do. We're going to revisit and visit some, some, some things that we see in Philippians that give us a window into what the kingdom is really all about and how we build the king's kingdom in our life and in this world. So i got two application points for you, all right? And I'm coming out swinging. I hope you're ready, all right? Here's what I want you to do. Over the next six weeks of this series, starting tomorrow, and I've already been doing this this week, I want you to read the entire book of Philippians every day. Now, before you go, wow, it's four chapters. <laughs> it takes 15 minutes. 15 minutes. But here's what I believe God is saying. This is the picture I want you to see. This is the idea of this idea of biblical meditation. This is not Eastern meditation where you're trying to empty your mind of all thoughts. This is biblical meditation where you're filling your mind with God thoughts. So we're gonna we're gonna read this and we're gonna reread it. We're gonna read it a lot over and over again. And as we do, I want you to get this picture of like your heart, the soil of your heart being tilled up. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes I recognize there's some spots in my heart that are a little hard. And when, 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 when soil is hard, it can't be penetrated with, with the seed. And so we're going to till up this soil by going over this, by meditating on the word, by keep reading this over and over again. But then also, at the same time, the Bible is called water. We're going to wash ourselves and wash this soil and cleanse this soil and bring moisture to this soil. And I believe, here's what I believe God's going to do. As we're doing this, all of a sudden, this is going to start coming alive. And the seed of the word of God, it may happen in your small group. It may happen in your quiet time. It may happen here in a church service. But all of a sudden, that seed is going to find a place in that soil where it can grow and it can flourish. And it can produce the joy that, that is this testimony to the world that God is alive in that person. So I'm in on this. Every day, Philippians 1 through 4. You with me? If you're with me, say I'm with you. All right. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest with where you are with, with the Lord. And we, we've said before here at New Song Church, God can't transform who you're pretending to be. And so it's important that we're honest. Wait, guys, would you throw that continuum back up there for me? Where, where are you on the continuum? Where do you find yourself today? As I'm preaching this message today, where do you find yourself? Are you languishing? Are you, are you at the center of it all? Is it all about you? Are there areas of your faith, of your life that you're going, man, I think I've built that on me. And I need to tear that down and I need to reconstruct that into God's image, into the image of Jesus. Where are you today? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm gonna give you a moment here to just be honest before the Lord. Just between you and the Lord and just, just let him know, like, God, this is where I'm at. I'm languishing, Lord. I've built my life, it's all about me, and I'm sorry. Lord, I feel stuck. I feel like I read the word, I'm hitting a wall. I feel like I come to church and I just feel lifeless. I feel dead inside, like something's not, it's just not clicking, it's not hitting. Just bring that before the Lord, tell him where you're at.
Father, I thank you for all these people who are here today that are being honest before you and where they're at. In that blah, in that meh, in that languishing place they may find themselves into, Lord. I thank you as we're honest with you, you begin to start moving in our life to make yourself known in a greater way. I pray you download love into people right now. Lord, for those who they're not in a prison cell like Paul physically, but maybe they're in a prison of their own thoughts, they're in a prison of their own fears, they're in a prison of their own, they just feel stuck. Well, I just pray that you would just begin to minister to them right now. As they choose to be honest with you, Lord, I pray that they would, they would find you. They would find your very present help. Thank you, Lord, that you came to give us life settle for less because not only do we need it but the world needs it our families need it the schools need it people need to see the joy of the Lord in a flourishing life that Jesus came and died to make possible in our life so they can see what's possible for them so Lord I pray that you would be magnified in people's lives and I pray over the next several weeks that you would just as we look at your word as we, as we till up the soil of our heart and water it with your word, Lord, that we would, that your word would find a place where it can flourish within us. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to go back into a time of worship. I'm going to go ahead and invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. And if you have a prayer need of some kind, we would love to pray for you today. We would love to join our faith with your faith for whatever it is you might be believing God for. We believe here a new song that if it matters to you, it matters to God. And maybe today you're dealing with something in your finances, in your health, in you need wisdom, you need direction, you've got a burden. And I, I want you to know, we serve a God who wants to lift that burden off of you. He doesn't want to just want to lift the burden off of you, He wants to lift you. <laughs> and so we'd love to pray with you today. And if it matters to you, it matters to God. Don't leave it a burden today. Cast that care on the Lord because He cares for you. Amen. And maybe you're here today and you, you, you sense God tugging on your heart through this message and you would say I, I'm, I'm in that languishing place and I would love somebody to pray for me today we'd love to pray with you maybe you're here today and you don't know God you don't know Jesus you've never made him the Lord of your life you've been at the center of it all and, and maybe you want to rededicate your life to God wherever you find yourself I just want you to know we'd love to pray with you we'd love to help you in that so as we go into this song I want to encourage you if you have a prayer need to come down and if not here's what we're going to do we're going to sing this song and we're going to rededicate all of us, we're going to rededicate our life to Jesus at the center of it all.